Our gospel reading is from St. Matthew, the fourth chapter, as Jesus begins to assemble the very core of his closest community. That while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That if you weren't able to be with us last week, is that last week we kicked off our congregational study. Not only a sermon series, but also a small group and personal study over the next 40 days as we go deeper. Not simply about how do we serve Jesus, but what does it mean to be with Jesus? As we are celebrating that very gift of that being challenged, as we are called to be in relationship with Him as He pours His love, gives His grace. And as we celebrate that good news of Christ crucified for us. And so today is that we step in to one of those first of the five habits that Jesus begins to teach and indeed show within the Gospels themselves. And so today as we get our sermon started, we have a little experiment to go ahead and get started with today. We need your full participation here. So I'm going to go ahead and flash up on the screen here a little bit of that very experiment. All right, on the left side of your screen, you should see a single line. On the right side, you should see three different lines. Now the question that I have for you is this. Does A, B, or C match in length the single line on the left? I'll give you some thought, time to think about that for a little bit. Is it A, is it B, or is it C that matches the single line in length? And the answer is C. C. Okay, okay. Now this isn't a trick question or anything else like that. But James Clear, in his book, Atomic Habits, gives kind of the background of this experiment in which you just participated. Now, James Clear, back in the 1950s, conducted this test with a lot of different people. But do you know what? 75% of people in the 1950s said that the answer was A. Now, why is that? (laughs) Now, did they just have something going on back in the 50s that they couldn't judge distance very well? Is there some sort of like trick of the eye that maybe just all of us collectively are having problems with this one? No, see, there was something there 
behind it. Is that there were people that were brought into this example, this experiment, but they were placed in the room with various actors. <laughs> Is that they would go ahead and they would have several different of these very same similar things, and that after several times of everyone all in agreement answering in unison, is that the actors would answer with the wrong answer. Now, if there was just one actor there in the room with the person, is that they would just simply shrug them off because, you know, there's just some people that maybe aren't bright in the world. Is that two people? Well, there's a lot of them in the world, I guess. There's some that would go. Is that it wouldn't affect their very answer at all with one or two actors acting improperly within the study. But when they acted and added three, five, up to eight different actors, the same thing would happen time and time again. Their eyes would go wide, a look of bewilderment would come on their face, and then they would change their answer from letter C, which they knew was right, to A, because they thought, how could I be wrong in the midst of so many? Now here's something that we have to reflect upon. So why is it that so often in this life that we look to all sorts of different sources? So why do we read all of those reviews that are a part of that Amazon purchasing experience? Is that why do we look at TripAdvisor or all kinds of other places? Why is there even a thing called Yelp? Because we think that there is safety in numbers, right? But there is this very dynamic tension that is here. So that certainly this experiment teaches us the importance of standing on our, on our own when we know what is true is true. But also it teaches us that very fact of the influence that community, that group can have. See, the problem is not so much that groups and communities can have powerful influence. It's the problem of that when they are wrong, <laughs> that they can lead us astray. So just think about this for a second. How powerful can those very relationships, those very communities, those very places in our lives, how big of an impact can they have on our life, our growth, on our faith when we surround ourselves with the right people, surround ourselves with those who speak that very good news of Christ Jesus and Him crucified into our very lives. See, you don't have to go very far in the Bible to find those very words in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that it is not good for the man to be alone. That there is this understanding that in God's very first revelation to mankind right there in the midst of creation, that it is not good. That we are built for relationships, built for community, that we are hardwired for connection. That while we are hardwired for connection first and foremost with God, that we are also hardwired for connection with community, with one another. So when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the preaching of Jesus, 
When we see the very message of Christ, what does He proclaim? We don't have to go very far into the Gospels to all of a sudden see Jesus beginning, beginning to gather His community, beginning to gather those around Him. Today we heard of Him simply walking along the lakeshore and calling Peter and Andrew and then James and John, and the surprising thing of it all is that they went. They just left everything and followed. See, Jesus throughout His ministry continued to show that very care for community. That while He gathered crowds, that He cared for people. And that while there was that importance of what could be done in the crowd, that it was within those smaller groups, those places of influence, And so Jesus at least invites us to reflect within our lives, who are those people that are pouring in? Who are those people that are proclaiming Him? Who are those people that can not only maybe say the hard truths that we need to hear, to be that voice of God that confronts us with maybe where we're going astray, but to be the very people that extend and speak those words of forgiveness to us that uphold us in our faith and direct us. And so we see Jesus inviting us to this idea that what do we see Him doing in the midst? That we see in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul proclaiming what Jesus did in His resurrection. That He not only appeared to certain individuals, but He even appeared to a crowd as big as 500 people. That Jesus gathered these close disciples to be able to allow so many to know the truth. But the fact is that even Jesus with that many people could not have that kind of closeness and connection in his earthly ministry. And so what is it that we see? That in Luke chapter 10, that he gathers 72, those who are closer and those who he can begin to teach and those that he sent out two by two to serve. But we more often than not, when we think of the disciples, that how many do we normally think of when we hear of Jesus' disciples? We think of 12, right? That that smaller group, those that lived with him, loved Him, walked with Him, journeyed with Him, those that saw everything, that those who got to know Him best. But even inside of that, that we see the three closest, Peter, James, John, that they got to see Jesus at the very best. Think of the Mount of Transfiguration when He was truly revealed as that very Son of God without a doubt. But these were the same three that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane showed them his sorrow, his pain, of what it was going to do to him and what it was going to cost him to go to the cross for us. See, today Jesus begins to invite us to think about our relationships, to think about our connections. That so often than not is that we might simply think of ourselves as those who have many connections and many places, but who are those people that are closest to us? Because where do we see our center and our core? 
The center of our lives is founded upon God, founded upon His very relationship and connection with us. Without His forgiveness, without His love, without His grace pouring into us, are we able? Are we able to live the relationships that He desires most for us? To extend a word of apology and confession when we know that we've wronged the other person? that it is only through Christ that we are able to see the need that we have. But it is also only through Jesus that we see of just how loved we are, just how welcome, just how accepted, just how cared for, that that forgiveness that frees so flowly, freely from the very cross of Jesus can not only begin to fill us up in our lives, but indeed can send us forth. See, I've heard it well put that the message of the gospel is not only that Jesus Christ saved us from our sins, is that that is the very core and central promise, that we have that hope and that promise that we are forgiven and loved and our past is washed clean. But it's not just what we've been saved from, but it's what we've been saved from. For, been saved for that community, saved for that very calling, saved for that very community that is called the church. But don't you notice in our day and age that we have a problem with commitment? We have a problem with all of those things because we know that there are so many things pulling at our attention, pulling at our time, pulling at us that we are uncertain about getting committed to the various things of life. And so, so many times we withdraw from all of the busyness, from all of the chaos, from everything, and we think within our own little personal space that that's where we will find peace. But what is it that Christ invites us to? He invites us to relationships not that are a mile wide and an inch deep, that he invites us to relationships that go below the surface, that go deep into his love. That who are the people that you are able to simply be the broken sinner that you are? Who are the people that you allow speak that very love of Christ into? Who are those people that you yourself are that very voice and that mouth of Christ as you proclaim that forgiveness, welcome, and acceptance to them? See, today we celebrate that we are forgiven, that we are loved, that we are called as God's church. But today we celebrate that it's only as we come in closeness, in relationship, in proximity to Him that we can be changed, changed as a community, that wherever our three may be, wherever our twelve may be, wherever our larger group might be, that we can carry with us a forgiveness that God Himself has given, a confidence that we have in Him. Today we start to think about that idea of what does it mean to commit to community. 
What does it mean to commit to that very trust of saying, I know that I'm taking a risk, but I know that in Jesus Christ that there is enough forgiveness that will see me through this. There is enough grace that will guide our path and that there is enough of the love of God that can change our lives. Then why are we able to commit to one another? Because in Christ Jesus, God committed Himself to us. That in the love of the cross and in that very tomb that He so strongly bursts forth from, He proclaims that truth, that He will never leave us, never forsake us, and He is the one friend that will always be there. That may He transform our lives, our church, our community, by that very gospel. And may He grant to you this very peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so I invite you to please join me in prayer. That Lord Jesus Christ, you have embraced us with a message of hope. Is That though we often struggle in our relationships with others, that you have given us the victory of your cross. May the forgiveness won for us upon the cross flow richly into our lives and the lives of others as we live in community with one another. Receive our thanks for all your grace, for we can never thank you enough. All this we ask in your name. Amen.